0: Psalm 8, thank you, Jacob. Thank you again, you guys, for that awesome time of worship for thank you for that. It was amazing and beautiful. That was wonderful. So, Psalm 8, guys, as you can tell, so we're starting a new sermon series that Jacob finished at Malachi last Sunday. We start Psalm 8 today as we start a new series, the Summer Songs. Um, as most of you know, the book of Psalms is considered widely our ancient hymnal. It's a book full of poetic songs written to God or about God. Most of them are completely drenched with every emotion you can imagine, whether it be good or bad. Uh, it's full of calls to worship, to pray, to seek after God above all else. us. And so today we'll see in Psalm 8 that there's an expression of and an encouragement to worship God in all of his majesty. And we'll see how he displays his majesty. In this particular psalm, David doesn't necessarily call the reader or call us to an action like he does in lot of the psalms. Throughout the book of Psalms, we see that there are calls to shout for joy, give thanks to God, sing praise, bow and kneel before God, make a joyful noise. That thing continues throughout the entire book. But in this psalm, Psalm 8, we see an example of a man nearly in awe of his God, recognizing his, how majestic his Lord is, astonished by the love of his Creator for him, and overwhelmed by how such a majestic God, through his grace, with what David sees himself to be as such a puny, insignificant man. He's so overwhelmed that he almost came to even his mind with me, it seems. So I think that's what Psalm 8 does for us, is that it causes more of an inward action that will lead us to the outer ones. That as we try to inhale and absorb and make our best effort to comprehend just how majestic our God is. So in today's text, We'll see three reasons why God's name is so majestic. One is because of his glory. Second is because of his love. And third is because of his grace. Three reasons why God's name is so majestic. One is because of his glory. Second, because of his love. And third, because of his grace. If you have your Bibles, let's read Psalm 8 today. <clears> o <throat> oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have saved your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and give your When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? If you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor and given him dominion over the works of your hands, you have put all things and oxen and also the beasts of the field the birds of the heavens and fish of the sea whatever passes along the paths and the seas O oh Lord our Lord how majestic is your name on earth let's pray Heavenly the Father come to and I ask that you would take these words that you would take your words and that you would thrust them deep into our hearts Lord that your truth would be made known to us. Lord, that as we try to comprehend your majesty, which is beyond our congregation, as we make our best effort here, Father, would you reveal that to us? Would you overwhelm us with your majesty? That we may be like David and shout, Lord, oh, Lord, under justification. Lord, for me, that only truth be spoken, nothing else here. Father, let only truth be heard and nothing else here. And ultimately, that everything is said and done, we glorify And that it leads to ultimate praise for you, Thank you for being in this place. Thank you for meeting with us here. Thank you for being home. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs> o Lord, our Lord. See that twice first off like the bat, O oh, Lord, our Lord, why, why twice? Why does David repeat himself? I, I'm pretty sure it's not because he thinks God is hard of hearing. He's not like, oh Lord, oh, our Lord, hey, we here. Uh I think we can all agree that's not what that's about. The first Lord that we see there when he says, Oh Lord, is the Yahweh is Hebrew for Yahweh, which is God's personal covenant name. It stems from the Hebrew verb to be, which is how God presented himself to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus when he said, I am who I am. So that Lord, Yahweh, points to God's eternal self-existence. The second Lord that we see when he says our Lord is the Hebrew for Adonai, which means Lord, Sovereign, and Master of the Lord. So when he says, O Lord, our Lord, that shows that though God is eternal and separate, of his creation, he has graciously condescended to enter into a covenant relationship with his people as their Savior. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. The definition of majesty is impressive stateliness, dignity, or beauty. Some synonyms of magnificence, of majesty or magnificence, dignity, grandeur, splendor, Mm -hmm. royalty. How magnificent is your name, O Lord. How beautiful and dignified you are, full of grandeur and splendor. How majestic is your name. What does he mean by your name? God's name. He's not simply referring to just the bird that you go or Yahweh, or God. He's not saying that because God's name is so beautiful, he doesn't need a last name like Moby, or Eldest, or God. He's saying, by your name, he's referring to God's revealed character, to the perfection of his attributes. Who he is and how he reveals himself to us. It brings us to our first point. How God reveals his majesty is through his glory. So let's reverse one again. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. You have set your glory to the highest degree, to the greatest extent. Your glory is not just as wonderful as the heavens. You have set your glory above the heavens. His glory is under the that of the heavens. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens are not there for their own glory. They are there <laughs> to declare God's glory. The purpose of creation is to magnify and declare the beauty and glory of God. And though his glory may be greater than heaven, so we don't have to go so far as to look past our own bodies to see God's glory revealed. The human brain has ten billion nerve cells interacting with coordination to allow us to function as we can. Your eyes have about 100 million receptor cells in each retina, which also contains four other layers of nerve cells. The system makes billions of calculations per second traveling through your optic nerve to the brain, which has more than a dozen separate vision centers to process it. Your skin has two million tiny sweat glands, about three thousand per square inch, to regulate your temperature. Your heart beats an average of seventy-five times per minute, forty million times per year, or two and a half million times in seventy years, and it pumps about three thousand pounds per day. Your body is supported by more than two hundred finely designed bones, connected more than five hundred muscles and many tendons and ligaments. Some muscles respond to your conscious will, whereas some just respond to that. The digestive system. Yep, we're going there. It contains <laughs> about 35 million glands that secrete juices to digest your food and sustain your life. This isn't even mentioning your lungs, and your other senses, like hearing, taste, smell, touch, endocrine glands, your immune system, and all of that works together. We are walking, living, breathing displays of God's glory. The glory more amazing than the vast heavens, more amazing than the intricately detailed human body. And in verse 2, we see that David recognizes even in the midst of the glory of God's creation, there are still adversaries of God. And how does God deal with these enemies? Let's read verse 2. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. The contrast that they making here between babies and enemies of God to present the image of God's glory was actually really well described in John Calvin when he said, How does God put to flight his enemies, who, by their impious slanders and detractions, do not cease to strike at and violently to rush forward to oppose all the proofs of a divine providence which daily manifest themselves? I answer, they are not routed or overthrown in respect of their being compelled to become more humble and unassuming. But because, with all their blasphemies and canine barkings, they continue in the state of abasement and confusion confusion to which they have been brought, to express the whole in a few words. So early as the generation or birth of man, the splendor of divine providence is so apparent that even infants who hang upon their mother's bosom can bring down to the ground the fury of the enemies of God. All those enemies may do their utmost and may even burst with a hundred with rage a hundred times. It is in vain for them to endeavor to overthrow the strength which manifests itself in the weakness of infancy. God uses weakness to overcome strength in his enemies. Second Corinthians 9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. His glory is most visible in our weakness and dependence of His, not in our own strength. Even in the weakness of infancy, we can still see the undeniable greatness and glory of God. The glory of God, His majesty on display, should strike within us an astonishment of Him and force us into praise just as it did I' How majestic is your name in all the you because of your glory. And then next we see how majestic his name is because of his love. Verses 3 and 4. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? I spent most of my growing up in East Texas. He's a little bit more East, not super East, but about an hour East on uh, a big 80-something acre farm. out uh, in the middle of nowhere, basically, compared to here. And we would spend evenings <clears throat> or nights when there was a clear sky. I mean, sometimes we'd go up and get out in the yard and just lay out there and just look at the stars. And and really, you think about it, I mean, it's just stars. Like They're not, they're not even looking anything. But they struck so much all of them, Just the vastness and the depth and all that we could just try to imagine God's place out there, even beyond what we can even see. In and, and reading this, I imagine David shepherding his father's walk in the wild hills of Bethlehem, before there were city lights, and before there was smog, and everything else. And how incredible that night sky must have been. And the moon, and the stars, and how awestruck awesome it had to have been in that night. And while he does that, it's like David says, with all of this amazing creation, how incredible the heavens are, and all that they contain, you are mindful of me. You are not only mindful, you don't just know who I am, that's it. But you care for me. 1 Peter 5 says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. In Matthew six, it says, "But God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, for you are faith. We are a speck on the timeline of history, in mind you, alone. We're past and in the future, thousands of years before us, and who knows how many after And the Creator of everything cares for me, the one who placed every star in that beautiful Bethlehem sky. He has me on his mind. He has you on his mind. David, in this moment, he's not making notice. He is making notice that God's greatness does not equate to remoteness. God's greatness does not equate to remoteness, but rather the opposite. It allows for attention to detail, which promotes and reveals God's love for us. How majestic is your name, on the earth, because of your love. In that love, we see the third way his name is so majestic, and that's his grace. Verses 5 through 3. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor, and have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas that made him a little over the heavenly beings. These heavenly beings which we assume he is talking about angels that were made immortal, intellectual, holy, powerful, glorious and in the likeness of their creator. What an overwhelming privilege and honor that he didn't make us to be considered the same as the livestock of the field and the birds of the air. Not a little greater than the lowest of the earth, but a little lower than the transcendent beings of the heavens. One twenty-seven says, "So God created man in His own image, and in the image of God He created man him. Male and female He created. <clears throat> Adam was also made in the likeness of His Creator, and He was given dominion over all the things of the earth. This is how He receives glory and honor. And that same crown of glory and honor was placed upon us as well. <clears throat> but the fall of man and that glory, and that honor, and that dominion was tainted. We see in Hebrews 2, Five through nine. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world mm-hmm. of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for? You make him a little lower than angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, (coughs) we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Jesus fulfilled the glorious destiny of humanity that we see described in Psalms. He's ready to begin applying that glorious destiny to anyone that would join him. Psalm 8 shows us that because of the fall of God and because of the sin which pervades our own hearts, we need a Savior. And we know that because of the wonderful Savior and the grace that He still gives, we will be proud of. There should be no doubt in our minds that by the redeeming work of the Lord Jesus Christ and us, And the fine work of the Spirit, the children of God, the heirs of salvation, are to be crowned with glory and honor. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Way of Glory, said, The dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Follow man through the grace of God and will one day be raised higher than those heavenly beings. Revelation 3.21 says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. What an inconceivable display of God's apparent grace. From dust to dominion to destruction to redemption. And transformation to the very throne of heaven. How majestic is your name in all the earth because of your grace. The and then David, coming full circle, so overwhelmed by God's majestic name, declares it again, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So let Psalm 8 be a reminder of how affected our hearts should be by God's majesty which is constantly surrounding us. Whether by experiencing God's glory through the night skies or by feeling His love and knowing that He knows the exact number of hairs on your head and your head and your head or by becoming overwhelmed by His grace which He displayed so compellingly to Jesus on the cross. As we prepare our hearts to take me together this morning. Let us celebrate the glory and love and grace of our Lord. As we remember the body that was slain and the blood that was shed for us. The glory of our Savior, shone through his selfless love, offering saving grace. May we react as David did. O Lord our Lord, how majestic is your name. you are the believer of this glorious please, we invite you to take your If you are an unbeliever or if you are in unrepentant sin, I would ask that you remain in your seat when God's word says that it's you you to take, you'll be eating and drinking in an manner. If there is sin in your life that you are unrepentant of, I would plead with you now to turn from your sins. I pray that the majesty of the cross and the glory of Christ would get up to draw you back to your heart. If you are an unbeliever, my hope is that you are being overwhelmed by God's majesty right. That how he reveals that to you will tell on your heart and lead you to his own faith. That you would one day to sit with Jesus. Together, let this be our prayer time. Heavenly Father, forgive me for the times that have taken for granted how majestic your name is. Now. Would you help me to always see, O Lord, love and grace, and to react as David did in all and wonder, shouting, O oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Take your time. To heavenly father, spend some time with the Holy Spirit, and when you're ready, the elements are in the back of the room on the Just Grab those, bring them back to your chair, and then we'll focus to the in. Just before the most amazing, most delightful, and your body, and your grace was shed. From the night when he was betrothed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke. And said, this is my body, which is for me. Do this in my In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my room. And this is all. I mean, I And I love you, Lord. We'll make it be something that impacts us, not <clears throat> just to but for everything so. of our lives. So. Every breath that we breathe is display of your majestic name. Work in each and every one of us here. So that everyone will walk out those doors looking more like Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for the cross. thank you for your amazing, amazing grace. That there is nothing greater in this world that we can ever ask for or ever certainly deserve. Nothing greater than Jesus.